This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Proverbs 1-7 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and it is. But what does that mean for the Christian teacher in the public setting where direct connections from knowledge to the giver of all knowledge are not generally allowed? A really important question we're going to talk about today with Jay Jacino. Jay has been teaching for nearly 20 years. He's taught in public, charter, and Christian schools. And today we'll be talking with him about his book, Truth is Fallen in the Street, examining the pedagogy of Christian teachers in public schools. Jay, it is great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Janet. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. You have taught in the public schools, as I mentioned, as a Christian. You've taught in a number of contexts. What are your observations, first of all, about public education in light of Proverbs 1-7? Well, public education ultimately is serving to take people away from the truth. And as I make the case in the book, um, uh, when you take uh, facts and information and disconnect them from God, who is the originator of all things, uh, physical and and our world, our universe, and you disconnect them from the purpose that God has, then uh, you have really no functional purpose for those facts. And so as such, that public school system is taking people away from the knowledge of God Uh, and from uh, salvation and from living a life that is full in him. Right. And yet you do have a lot of Christians who are teaching in the public school system. What was that like for you as a Christian? What was your experience? Was it frustrating? Was it a challenge? How did you how did you deal with it or how do you deal with it? Yeah, it was it was a great challenge. Um, You know, initially everything seemed to be okay, But uh, as as time went on, uh, it was a, a great challenge in the area of discipline, uh, the the, abil- the inability to discipline a child the way the child needed to be disciplined was a real challenge, uh, just dealing with content issues, uh, dealing with uh, uh, just content in the classroom. Uh, it was a challenge. I mean, I got to the point, where, I, you know, I used to teach a, a sixth grade class, for instance. I had a, a study hall the last hour of the day, and I remember walking past a student and he had a magazine open, sixth grader, and uh, the picture that he was looking at was that of a man stuck to a wall with a butcher knife through his chest. <gasps> and <laughs> I, oh. I paused and I said, where'd you get that magazine? And he said, the library. And, and so, you know, I proceeded to check into that. And, and after finding out that, in fact, that was one of our library magazines, uh, after looking through the magazine a little bit more, I became uh, motivated to deal with that issue, and I got a lot of persecution for that within the system I was at. 
and it really was a challenge. That was just, you know, one story. There's a lot of other stories I could share, but I'm sure time doesn't allow here. Oh, man, that's got to be hard. Yeah, it's a little hard to get on the kid when he checked it out of the school's own library, and then you're probably having to fight <laughs> with the librarian. Well, this is, we got to expose the kids to these things. I mean, that's that's a nightmare. Exactly, yeah, it was a nightmare. Yeah, she was very much against me from the start, and my boss, I remember, he kicked me out of his office. He said, get out of my office now before I say something I regret. Good <laughs> grief. He oh. and, and, he was, and he was a guy that went to, a, you know, professed to be a Christian, went to the local church, uh, respected man in the community, and, and this was the kind of thing. And, and the kind of, this is the kind of thing that kind of really got me going on why I wrote the book in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you talk about knowledge coming from the Lord and and you have to connect knowledge to the Lord. I know that you address this in your book, for example. The, the common response I've heard from people in the public school setting is, yeah, but you don't have to be a Christian to explain math. You, you know, there are certain subjects where there's not really a direct line from that subject to God. How do you respond to that kind of claim? Yeah, those are very common objections, you know, uh, and, and yes, yeah, so you're right. I deal with it in the book. Um, so the you know a quick response to that would be well you know why does math work uh, why is it uh, what's its purpose where does it come from uh, what are the how did the principles and laws of mathematics arrive uh, on the scene um, were they created by us did we discover them and your answers to those questions will uh, give a uh, a direction to where you're going with with math uh, you know one plus one is two it's true for the atheist it's true for the Christian. Uh, but uh, why is one plus one two uh, the case? You know, why is that true, and and is it relevant? What do we do with that? You know, what do we do with the information that we have? Is there a purpose for it? Uh, and that's the kind of way I, I would begin to answer that question. Yeah. Now this almost gets back to a, a more basic question, which is, what is the purpose of education? Because if you're a teacher and yeah. you believe the only thing I'm really here for is to disseminate knowledge and teach that two plus two is four and nothing beyond that, isn't that a misunderstanding of what education ought to be in the first place? Yes. And the Bible, of course, in Ephesians 6, 4 says that we're to bring our children up in the fear, a discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that word is paideia, that, uh, that Greek word. And, and it's, the, it's talking about the whole education of the child, not just an academic portion, but it includes that as well. And that's the purpose. And, you know, what does a teacher do? What should a teacher do? Imparting knowledge. Well, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, uh, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, We look at uh, Proverbs 2, uh, you know, 4 uh, and 5. It says, uh, says, if you see her, seeking for wisdom, if you see her as silver, seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Mm then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So, uh, you know, what is the purpose of, of education at all? You're right. It's, I believe it is to transmit knowledge, and right. knowledge is directly connected to God. There is a moral component to education, even education in English, in history, in science, in math. There's a, there's a moral component there. When you leave that moral component out, you are essentially missing the point of education in the first place. Wow. What, what have you seen as far as the pedagogy of Christian teachers who are in public schools? I mean, a lot of these folks, and I know a lot of them myself, are trying to do the best they can in a setting that can be hostile toward Christians. But what are what is generally going on among Christian teachers that needs to be fixed? What What is and, and could be fixed? Well, let me, let me start by saying, you know, I didn't write the book to destroy 
teachers who are doing the best they can right. in the public setting. Uh, I wrote, uh, you know, we're out to, I'm out to destroy arguments, not destroy people. So I think that I want to start there with this question. My heart is to encourage teachers who are in that setting to take a fresh look at what they're there for. Uh, and so uh, to answer your question, you know, what could be fixed, uh, I simply make the case in the book. And again, uh, the, you know, my rationale is all there, but uh, in order for knowledge if it is connected to God, to, to be knowledge in fact, uh, we need to include God in the picture. And so uh, in, a, in, a, in a classroom setting, uh, the teacher should uh, not avoid God, should not avoid Jesus Christ, should not avoid the Word of God in their teaching. Now, I fully understand that if a teacher actually uh, did that, you know, actually brought up God in the Bible and, and, and Jesus Christ and whatnot in their teaching, the, the consequence would be uh, most likely a job ending for them. I, and I understand that. But it can be done. I think it should be done because this is what the purpose of education is. Yeah. Um, not just as a Christian. I mean, not just, I mean, how can I say this? As a Christian, for a Christian teacher, uh, that's w what they should be doing. Uh, because it's the truth, and doesn't everyone have a right to the truth? I mean, we have a right for everything else in the world, right? Uh, we have a right to believe for a different gender. We have a right to do all kinds of things. Uh, why don't we have the right to the truth, the, the truth, right. the full truth, and nothing but the truth? Uh, when you take away God as the foundation for knowledge, and you take away the purpose that he has for it, then you're not getting... Uh, you're only getting a third of what's there. And that's the facts, if you will. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I, my short answer to your question would be, what's wrong is the ACLU, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, you know, all of these groups that will come in and swoop down with lawsuits the minute any teacher tries to actually <laughs> mention God, mention Jesus Christ, have a Bible on the chair, have a Bible on the desk. I mean, we know how these things go. And I think a lot of those lawsuits and a lot of the bad publicity that has been brought to bear on a lot of Christians who are teaching in the public schools is exactly what has made so many Christian teachers, I think, very hesitant and afraid to even figure out how to do what you're talking about. But I think it's extremely important. We're going to go to a quick break. We'll come back with Jay Jacino. His book is called Truth is Fallen in the Street. We'll come back right after this. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. 
fellow Christians are suffering in Africa. This is Janet Mefford. Pastor Lumo ministers in Mozambique near the Indian Ocean. He's been beaten and jailed many times, not merely for what he believes, but for how he lives out his faith. You see, Lumo has been quietly and faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims, and many are coming to Christ. But extremists have assaulted Lumo, his family, and many in his church. But they're not asking for an end to the persecution they face. Instead, they're praying for God's word to endure and persevere as new followers of Christ. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture, giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send God's word to a new believer in Africa. $5 sends one Bible. $100 sends 20. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. Or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Jay Jacino. He is a teacher for nearly 20 years. He's taught in public schools, charter schools, Christian schools, and is out with the book Truth is Fallen in the Street, examining the pedagogy of Christian teachers in the public schools. You are really right, Jay, I think when you talk about the connection between knowledge and epistemology and morality, we were saying, for instance, a few minutes ago that you can't teach any subject without somehow connecting it to the giver of all knowledge, who is God himself. But the question for a lot of Christian teachers, no doubt, is how do I do that? In other words, you know, when I walk into my classroom tomorrow, what should I do differently, Jay? What what should I try to do a little bit differently so I can improve the way that I'm teaching? Sure. Tell them the truth. Uh, and that's <laughs> that sounds like a simple uh, answer. But what I mean by that is tell them uh, the way it is. So, uh, for instance, if you're a science teacher and I teach biology, I teach chemistry, um, uh, God is the creator of life, and uh, the, he created life for a purpose. And these are basic facts that need to be shared within the, uh, you know, within the educational setting, within the subject matter, for students to be able to uh, place the information that they've received in a proper place. And once it's in a proper place, it can be used effectively. If they don't, if the teacher doesn't give that information, the student has no place to put that information. Uh, there's no order to it. Uh, and so, again, they, they need to, a Christian teacher to implement what I'm saying. They simply have to see how their discipline is related to God. Uh, and interestingly enough, many teachers don't know that. They don't understand that. They've not been taught to think this way. But I would submit that's where they can start is to study. How, how does English relate to God? You know, what does history have to do uh, with God? Um, what about science? Uh, what about math? Uh, what about art? You know, and then yeah. the, once they can learn these things, they start implementing them in their classroom and not being afraid to use uh, the Word of God in the process. So key is using the Word of God as a foundational tool uh, and that's what they need to do differently. Right. Uh, let so, me address, if yeah. you don't mind. Yeah, sure. go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, finish. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to address the, the point before the, the break uh, that um, it, the big thing seems that I have argued that I have heard over and over is that we are to obey the governing authorities. And in the public setting today, uh, it is not legal, uh, if you will, or at least it's assumed to be not legal. 
uh, to talk about God, talk about Jesus, to use the Bible in a, a public school. But I make the case that um, government was established by God himself, and he established it for the administration of good, not evil. And if that's the case, then any individual who openly acknowledges God within that civic realm could not possibly be in any way acting contrary to God and his established order in society. And so uh, I think it's a, it's a fallacy to believe that, um, uh, that, a, that, a, that a Christian is being a good Christian, if you will, or obeying uh, you know, God by, by not saying anything, because uh, God established government, and it's for the administration of good, not evil. So this is a contradiction that I see, and, and I believe it's a, a fatal one. It is. And yet I will hear from Christian friends of mine who are teachers who say, well, I can have an influence on kids who would have no other exposure to a Christian adult, perhaps in their entire lives. I like the ministry of being in the public schools. If I openly teach about God, if I mention Jesus Christ, I'm going to get immediate complaints and I'll probably get thrown out. Why don't I just leave and go to a Christian school? Is that not a better option? What are your thoughts on that? Because there are there are different schools of thought that that Christian teachers teachers ought to just be in Christian schools or homeschooling their own kids. You forget about the public schools. What do you say to that? Well, agreed. There are many different thoughts. Let me first say that, I'm again, I'm not uh, denying that uh, teachers do have a positive impact in the public system. Again, that's very important to understand uh, that I'm not saying that there is no good being done. Uh, But but yes, um, uh, you know, if teachers did exit the public school system, um, they would be able to teach uh, fully in their calling. Uh, again, example, I teach at a Christian school in Sewanee, Georgia. It's an international Christian school, and I'm part of the hiring that happens here. And you know, we have teachers that come in, and one specific uh, instance I remember where a teacher uh, was coming from the public school, and in the interview, I, I wasn't super excited about the interview because uh, of the history in the public setting, but the teacher was just uh, absolutely thrilled and, and, and happy that uh, they were going to be able to come to a Christian school and teach the way they should teach. Wow. In other words, I think a lot of teachers in the public setting who are Christians, they know they should be doing better. They know they should be doing different. They want to, but they're, they're, they're just, you know, strapped, if you will, and they don't do it. And, but when they get a chance to teach in a different setting, they just blossom. Yeah. And uh, so that clearly is something that they could do. But again, I'm making the case of what they should do. What they should do is teach it the way it is, teach it to the, according to the truth, connect the dots, if you will, because that's what they're paid to do. That's what they should do from a moral standpoint, yes. wherever they are, whether they're in public or Christian setting. Now, Jay, for example, when you talk about the fact that you've taught biology and chemistry, if you're in a chemistry lab, walk us through a scenario, because I think that would help paint the picture for a lot of people who are listening. You're having a chemistry lab. The kids are looking through the microscope at cells. How do you tie God to that? How would you teach those kids in that setting? Well, you know, from a, from a big picture, I'd say, look, you know, we go into the to the lab, whether it's chemistry, biology, whatever. Uh, any data that's taken and be able to be functional is based on a standard. If I, it's based on measurements. We measure uh, things. We tell how hot they are, cold they are, how long they are. Uh, all kinds of uh, measurements are done. But all of them have a standard. You don't know something until you have a standard to base your, uh, you know, the, the the numbers on, if you will. And I would simply make the case that, look, that's the way it is. That, you know, the physical reality that we see and work with every day is a fingerprint of God. It points to the, to the spiritual truth. The 
the fact that there is a standard that helps us to know things uh, physically is uh, evidence, if you will, that there is a spiritual standard. And you, and the only way you're going to know something, uh, you know, what you're doing right or wrong, is whether you can identify that physical standard, that spiritual standard, and measure from it. And it gives us knowledge about what we're doing, uh, whether it's right or wrong, yeah. good or bad. Yeah, I and guess so the I microscope would, that way. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess the microscope would be biology. Now that I think about it, it wasn't chemistry, it was the That's beakers. Okay. Yeah, I, I mixed that it, up. It wouldn't matter. It, it wouldn't <laughs> matter. Yeah, let, me, let, me add, let me add a little bit more to your chemistry or to the chemistry example that you brought up. Uh, you know, uh, electrons are always seeking uh, to be stable. Uh, and and that's an interesting, that's an attribute of God. God provides in us, and the fact that he does not change, uh, he provides stability. And the fact that uh, there are different substances allow, uh, you know, uh, God is infinite, and the infinity of God uh, uh, in chemistry, we look at the vast number of chemical, um, uh, the, chemi- the just simple chemicals and chemical compounds that are available, uh, it is a, a demonstration of God's infinity and the, and the amazing way in which God has uh, designed things, but yet those chemical reactions occur because electrons want to be stable. It's more stable to bond with this element than this element, then that chemical reaction takes place, stability is achieved, and we see the very nature of God, his unchangeableness, mm-hmm. his infinity all wrapped up simply in uh, the desire of electrons to find stability and lowest energy state. That's great. Now, what about the resistance? What about the kid who hears this, goes home, tells atheist mom, atheist mom calls the principal, you get hauled into the office, now you're in big trouble, and the teacher <laughs> says, what good have I finally done? I got myself fired. What, what, what do you say to that teacher? Right. Well, believe it or not, I've had that happen in Christian schools. <laughs> wow, really? Uh, you know, that's to give a, 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 unfortunately, the state of things uh, has progressed in many places to that level. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, uh, you just, you take the battle wherever it is. And again, you know, I make the case in the book that Paul writes in Romans, I believe, twelve eighteen says that we are, as far as it depends upon us, live at peace with all men. Right. Yes. But he was the one. If you read the book of Acts, that started riot after riot. I mean, he didn't go out to start a riot, but the fact that he was preaching the truth, people didn't like that, and riots began to the right. point where, you know, in Ephesus, you know, great is Artemis of the Ephesians was shouted for two hours, you know, and so uh, this was because Paul simply taught the truth. And so, uh, you know, when the kid goes home to t- tell his atheist parents what happened. That's going to bring on some trouble, absolutely. But that's something that we should not fall away from. And this is why truth has fallen in the street, is that we as Christians are unwilling to engage that battle. And we, yeah. we can engage that battle and do it lovingly. And, and you know what? In the process of arguing a case, people on the outside hear the case provi- uh, argued. And, and, the, and maybe you won't win the case with the person you're dealing with, but the people listening on the outside have a have a way to evaluate what's going on. And, do you, you know, think then, Jay? And do you think that we're here yeah. in the public school situation we're in, in part because we have been too passive, we have been too willing to go along with all of the take God out of this and take God out of that nonstop, and just you Absolutely. know went along with it. Absolutely. I mean, if you look back at the origins of public education, and and you go back a long ways, but uh, you can go to to you know John Dewey, you know. Your Humanist Manifesto signer in 1933, you know, sec, uh, religious uh, humanism is, was his goal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, not just him, but a whole bunch of other people, but he became a very instrumental person in the development of public education. And 
it wasn't too long after him. And, you know, in the 1950s, I'm not just sure what year, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, your listeners will understand, but, you know, God began to be pulled out of the public setting, and Christians let it happen. Yeah, yeah. We, just, we just stopped. You know, there was, I'm sure there was some, some fighting in, initially, and, and there's, I'm sure, history of all that, but, but we've let it happen to the point where today it's, that's just the way it is. And I think we have fallen over. We have just fallen down or just kind of rolled over and let the, let the whole thing pass us by. We need to be fighting, not in a, a military gun sort of a sense, but in an argument sense, uh, you know, for the truth. And, and why give up? And if they run you out, then go somewhere else. I mean, you know, you mentioned it earlier about going out of the public school into the private school. Look what happened in the church. Yeah. When persecution happened in the book, in the book of Acts. I mean, they dealt with they it. Do? Yeah, that's it. Jay Chisino, we're out of time, but the book is called Truth is Fallen in the Street, an important challenge. And Jay, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back to Janet Mefford Today. With all the important things that we have to do in our lives, there are few tasks that are more critical than Christian parenting. And I think all of us who have kids would agree, we not only want our children to know the Lord, but we want their children to know the Lord too. Is there a better way for us to parent with that end goal in mind? We're going to get some guidance on it today from Amy Reno. She and her husband, Rob, are the parents of seven children, and they help other parents through their Visionary Family Ministries. Their new book is called Visionary Parenting, Capture a God-sized vision for your family. Amy, it's great to have you with us. How are you? Great. Uh, thank you, Janet. Nice to meet you. Nice to be on with you today. Well, it's nice to meet you, too, if over the phone. We meet over the yes, phone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully one day in person. But it is great to have you here, Amy. This is wonderful that you have seven children. I'm always impressed with moms who are managing a great number of children and dads as well. What would you say is the purpose of parenting when we're talking about how you go about this great godly task of raising children the way you do? Yeah, I would say that um, that's really what our ministry really grew out of, is us kind of stumbling at the beginning of our journey to discover what the purpose of parenting is. And we really came to the point where, where we began to understand that the purpose of parenting is is discipleship. We look to create with our children heart-connected, lifelong discipleship relationships, because more than anything else, we want our kids to know Jesus in such a way that they're going to teach their kids how to know Jesus. We really believe that that is the purpose behind Christian parenting. Well, that's wonderful. And I know that that word discipleship is used quite a bit in different contexts by different Christians. How would you define discipleship? Clearly, we understand the Word of God talks about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We know his disciples and who they were. But how would you define that? What does it mean to be a disciple, would you say? Well, I think it means to walk intimately, to follow the steps of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, to know him, to not just have our um, 
faith be something that is important to us on Sunday um, or when we go to youth group or church camp, but it's something that involves every aspect of our life so that we're really helping our kids to understand that to be discipled is to really have an intimate relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. It's funny to me, I often will hear stories, and I'm sure you hear them too, of people who were raised in a Christian home and they say, all I got out of my Christian home life was don't do this, don't do that. And if you do this, Mm -hmm. you're in trouble, the legalistic stuff. But I know it also happens on the other end of the spectrum where kids can be raised in Christian homes and they don't get anything at all. So would you say that there is failure more on one end of the spectrum than the other? Because I know you say in the book that really we have a problem now with overly permissive parenting. But in terms of a Christian context, where would you say we're really falling short, generally speaking? Well, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I think a lot of parents have great intentions and really want to do the absolute best for their kids. And I would say most Christian parents who are taking the time to read a, a parenting book are probably already doing a lot right. So this book is really to encourage and help parents kind of focus what they're doing. Our story is basically that my husband in about 2004, we had four children at the time, and he was a youth pastor, and he was running a very large, successful youth ministry. And while he was extremely active as a spiritual leader at church, he was rather passive as a spiritual leader at home. And I was really getting to the point as a wife, I was kind of feeling like, well, maybe what I am looking for here in our home, like a a father who wants to take on the spiritual headship of our home, like maybe that's an unrealistic expectation, because as I was looking around, I really didn't see anybody doing that. Hmm. So just at the point, once I was kind of to give up thinking, okay, maybe what I'm hoping for really isn't even possible, God did a miracle in my husband's life and turned his heart toward what he would say his spiritual responsibilities over his spiritual opportunities. So while he was very focused on discipleship of those kids in his youth ministry, he did not have a vision to disciple his own children. And what we mean by disciple is pray with them, read the Bible with them, direct, realize that our job as parents is to be the primary discipler of our children, as opposed to this kind of delegation parenting mode that we live in right now, where really we think that we should drive our kids to the expert. Um, on whatever it is, the musical expert or the sports expert, so that someone else can do the job. And unfortunately, that's how we can, parents can even feel in the world of teaching, in the responsibility of teaching their kids their faith, because they think, take them to church. That's where the experts are. Yes. But really, right. moms and dads are the experts. Yeah. And again, it, it gets back to the issue of parents who don't feel equipped to do it. If they think, I have to be a Sunday school teacher, and I, I don't know all these stories that are taught in Sunday school as well as the Sunday school teacher does, I'm not really sure what I should do at home. Where would you tell a parent to begin with you know, really being a discipler of your child? Because I think for a lot of parents, they don't know how mm-hmm. to get started with that. Well, you know, first of all, that's a lie from the enemy that they don't, because in, in so many ways, they're already doing it. Um, you are, I like to tell moms all the time that, you know, moms are the experts on their kids. Like, there's no such thing as a Sunday school teacher that meets your kid one hour a week that has a better way of teaching scripture or faith to their, to those kids than you do. Yes. Because, because you understand your kid, you get to disciple your kids in the moments where it really counts. 
So, for example, in my house, I'm just always amazed that you you don't need to be an expert to be able to share the gospel with your kids over and over. Right. And, you know, when our kids mess up in our homes, because we get we see them in their most trying times. So we get the worst of our kids, just like our kids get the worst of us, correct? Yes, I mean, yes. That's where we all fall apart <laughs> at home. That's God's design. Well, that is where your kids need to hear the gospel. Yeah. That is where your kids need to hear that, you know, I understand you just lied, but guess what? We have a Savior who wants not only us for to, to not lie, but He gives us a way to break from the sin of lying. And He died on the cross for us. You know what I mean? Like, I'm talking as I'm talking to a three-year-old right now, but, but there's so many opportunities throughout the day to simply share the gospel. And I would encourage parents, you don't have to be an expert to do that. That's true. Um, you just share what Jesus, if you just share what God is working in your own heart, and you share that with your kids, that is the excellent discipleship. <laughs> I agree with you on that. And I wonder how much of the lack of discipleship stems from the fact that those parents don't know what discipleship looks like since no one did that for them. There can be sort of an excuse making, well, nobody discipled me. I don't know how to disciple anybody else. I'm, my, my dad didn't do it. Why should I have to do it? Right, right. And that's where I sometimes feel like this word discipleship is not you know, I want people not to feel intimidated by that word. Um, it really is, what I like to say, is just getting hold of the hearts of our children or wooing the hearts of our children. Um, your Heavenly Father, you didn't come to know Christ, or you didn't come to know have faith in God because He gave you a set of rules and regulations. God woos us to Himself. Right. It's God so loved the world that He sent His Son for us in order for us to have a relationship with Him. Well, well, parents love their kids, you know, so all the parents need to do is really focus on the heart of their children, on realizing that God has given them special influence and connection with their kids that the world's going to try to steal away, but it's our job as parents to um, woo those hearts back to us so that we remain primary influencers in their lives. That That's such an important concept for Christian parents to understand, Amy, and I'm really glad that you're stressing that because we do have this tendency to think we have to outsource everything. And if there's mm-hmm. one thing that you just said that really ought to be driven home, it's the point that you are the primary influencer of your child. And you look at the statistics on when children are most greatly influenced, uh, spiritually speaking, it's the vast majority of people become Christians when they're children. So that only makes sense. Right. Well, and we used to have a saying when we worked in youth ministry that um, you could have a kid in the absolute, you know, best schools and the best youth ministry with the best youth pastor or just wonderful people in their life. But if their home life was a mess, you know, and they were really struggling at home, all those wonderful things were only going to have a minuscule influence on them. That's such a good point. Let's pause for a break. Amy Reno with us. Visionary Parenting is the book. We'll be back on Janet Mefford today right after this.
After taking the morning-after pill, this mom immediately felt sick and nauseated as she tried to end her pregnancy. While searching for medical care, she found a preborn center where she hoped to rule out that she was pregnant. I had an ultrasound done right then and there. After hearing the baby's heartbeat, I instantly thanked God and said, may your will be done, Lord. I'm seven months pregnant now. I thank God every day for my little miracle. Preborn centers are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms in crisis to the life growing inside of them and sharing the gospel in action. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Will you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. 855-402-BABY or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Thank you for joining us. Do you want to catch a vision for creating a multi generational legacy of the Christian faith in your family? Well, Visionary Parenting, new book is all about that. Rob and Amy Reno are the authors, and Amy is joining us talking a lot about this important role that the Lord has given to us as Christian parents to disciple our children. And don't be intimidated. You know, Amy, I like that because I think we it's almost as if we look upon raising children, at least I have a tendency to do this, as another long, complicated thing on my to-do list when it really begins with, I love this child. (laughs) Uh What is the role of just loving your child and connecting to your child's heart, as you've said, as the beginning place for discipleship? Yes. I mean, you are doing, we talk about small groups at church where you need to do life together. Well, you're doing life with your children. And so it isn't supposed to be something that intimidates you. You have an opportunity to um, begin with the littlest things, like I said, you know, there's the night, you know, the times you put them to bed at night, you get that special time that no one else has. You know what I mean? Even if your kids are in full-time daycare, for example, it's you that has this touch point with them when they go to bed at night, that you have an opportunity to share with them about your faith, to read a Bible verse to them, to pray with them. I mean, I think the key is to start somewhere. And the enemy wants us to think that we need to do something that's so, like you said, this big, massive um, discipleship plan. But the reality is you just need to start somewhere um, and not be intimidated by 
the big picture. Start with the little things. That's great. You have a chapter I know in your book about the way that you spend your time as a visionary family. How would you advise parents to spend their time? You've mentioned, for example, the nighttime routine. That can be a great time to read Bible stories to your children, pray with them, sing hymns to them, and all those sorts of things. But what about time in general? From the time you get up in the morning till the time your children go to bed, what are some important tips, would you say, on how to spend your time? Well, I would just say is that... um you want to take advantage of the minutes that you have. You know, I think sometimes, um, well, it's just a little example, but, you know, I have found even when, you know, parents are exhausted and, you know, you just, maybe you just came home from work and you're not really wanting to engage with your kids, for example. Let's take that illustration. Well, when you put even on a video, for let's say you're putting VeggieTales on with your kids, you have a choice right there to sit there and watch VeggieTales with them or maybe be on your phone and answering your emails, mm-hmm. you know? And I would encourage you, like, little steps like that where you decide, you know, this is time that, you know, maybe this doesn't seem like a very valuable time, but when you're engaging and getting into your kid's world, you're making heart connection with them. The more things that you build into your schedule that build heart connection with your kids, which is a relationship filled with warmth, honesty, and trust. When you're doing things that build warmth, honesty, and trust with your children, that is creating what I would say is discipleship pathways, because they are going to want to hear, they're going to want to listen to someone who they have that type of relationship with. Right. And you are watching your mom and your dad every minute of every day. And at certain points in their lives, maybe the teenage years, especially kids can be difficult on their parents. And and we all go through that. And then we grow up and we say, I'm so sorry, mom, (laughs) you did a great job with me. I didn't appreciate it. But what about the model and the mentor that you are for your children in terms of your character and even your own relationship with the Lord? What would you say are some important things for your children to see you doing and to see how you are as Mm -hmm. a Christian? Well, I think my kids need to hear me say, I'm sorry. And I think they need to hear me say I was wrong. Mm. Um, Those are some of the most important words that parents need to get used to saying. Because if we want to be authentic, it says that teenagers are hard on parents. That's true. But parents are also hard on our kids. Yes. Because... Like I said before, it's, it is my kids that get the worst of my character. You know, it's who we are at home is who we really are. That's the message we give our kids to every day. You know, who we are at home is who we really are. So don't fool yourself when you walk out of this house and everything looks all glossy, but you're coming home and you're having you know, a major outburst of anger with your siblings right now. That is the part of you that's going to follow you into all your close relationships in your future life, with your future spouse, and your future children. So that's what God is working on with you, and that's what God's working on with us as parents. So when we mess up, we have to say, I'm sorry. We have to model the fact that we receive forgiveness from our Holy Father. Yes. Um, we need to be able to say, I was wrong. It helps your kids be able to say, I was wrong. You Absolutely. want to build authentic relationship in your home. Well, that's right. Now, how would you differentiate between what dad ought to be doing in the home from what mom ought to be doing in the home? Clearly, we are of the same mind. We want the same things for our children ultimately, but Mm -hmm. we're different and we play different roles in our children's lives. What would be the difference, would you say, between what dad should do with your child and what mom ought to do? Or are there many distinctions? Yeah, I, you know, I think that 
the Bible clearly says there's different roles for men and for women. So when we look at the husband, we look at those roles as love, that the father is the one who sacrificially lays down that agape love for his family. So um, it's interesting that the wife is never specifically commanded with that same agape love. When when, um, in Titus it says for women to love their husbands, it's phileo love. It's more like a friendship, like help your husband. I like to say work really hard at liking your husband, (laughs) cheering for your husband. But the father uh, definitely plays the role of um, protector and the one who self-sacrificially puts his life down for his whole family and protector and provider. But, you know, and, and then the, the wife should play the role, should be, um, uh, I'm sorry, helper um, and respect and submit to her husband. And we're getting, that's a, we have a whole book, Visionary Marriage, to go into those roles. So, right, right. But I think it's important to understand that when it comes down to the everyday things we're talking about here, discipleship, that the lot can be done in between mom and dad. And we don't need to get so hung up on, well, dad needs to be the one to read Scripture. Well, if, if it's more comfortable for mom to open the Bible and read Scripture, what's the most important thing is that it's happening in the home yes. as opposed to who is doing it. Yes. So I don't think people need to get too hung up on um, it, you know, it's on who's doing what. I mean, it's great if you're working as a team, but a lot of people are in situations where their spouse is maybe not on the same page as they are. So I would say don't get hung up on that. Do what you can. Um, I used to just tell myself if I didn't read my Bible, if I didn't read a verse to them in the morning, then okay, that's all right. I'm going to try to hit, you know, read it to them at lunch. If I didn't get at lunch, I'm going to do it at dinner. If I didn't do it at dinner, I'm going to do it at bed. If I don't do it the whole day, I'm not going to give up. Give up. I'm going to get up and try again the next day. That's good. Um, you know, don't expect perfection from yourself. Just do something. I love that. That's good. And that's something everybody can do. What about family worship? What role should family worship play in the home? Well, we think family worship is essential. And family worship, I think is so important to distinguish is not the time when parents say, this is where we teach you the Bible. Instead, family worship is a time where we put the Bible over all of us as the family, meaning that we as a family are choosing to submit to God's Word. Um, And that's helpful, I think, for parents because, you know, again, parents can feel like they have to do some spectacular thing in order to have this great family worship time. Often for us, it's simply just reading a scripture and each of us modeling, well, what, that's what this scripture said to me, you know, asking each person who wants to share, you know, what did that say to you? What did that speak to you? So we're demonstrating that we're all under scripture. Yeah. This is not about mom and dad holding this over you. It's the fact that we as a family, like as Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will choose to serve the Lord. So we're all under this. And we would love to see family worship happen in the home every day for 15 minutes, but that sounds, I'm sure for a lot of people, that sounds overwhelming. So again, we encourage families, just start somewhere. Just realize that your kids um, learning to worship in your home prepares them to worship in the church and prepares them to lead as future parents of your grandchildren 
to lead their family in a way that worships God. Right. Well, and there's so many forces that are pulling families apart anyway with the soccer and cheerleading and yeah. dance and everything, yeah. you know, and, and that's also a good excuse. Uh, first and foremost, it needs to be about worshiping the Lord and putting ourselves under the word of God, but also it's an excuse to bring the family together, which is your goal anyway. That's that's what it's all about is to be able to be together as a Christian family. Right. And you don't have to, I mean, I know there's a big, I mean, I would love for our family to sit down at the table, you know, five nights a week, but that doesn't happen. I have seven children with lots of different crazy schedules. So, you know, we, every day we're like, okay, what's the best time today for us to get 15 minutes of praying together and reading the Bible? And so it might look different on Monday than it does on Wednesday. You just got to do it. Yeah, it may yeah. not happen on Thursday. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's so good. Well, the name of the book, Visionary Parenting, Amy Reno. And again, the website is visionfam.com. You can check it out. Amy, so good to have you here. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Janet. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. God bless. And thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.